the scripture readers have to love the passages I pick because of all of the names that are in there. So my apologies for that, Cindy. I promise I wasn't trying to make you say hard things in front of everybody. Good morning, Lakeview Church. Oh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. You guys are awake this morning. It's good. I want to just uh, say a special welcome to everybody who's here this morning and especially those who are joining us online Thank you so much for taking time out of your weekend to be with us, whether you're here in this room or whether you're uh, in your living room or some other location. Maybe you're sitting on a beach today watching this service. Wherever you're at, thanks for being with us today. We're glad that you're here. I do want to just say a special welcome to our college students. I got to meet some of you before service started and would love to meet those of you that I haven't had a chance to interact with, would love to meet you right after church. I'm just going to stay right up front here, so if you want an opportunity just to connect and uh, put a name with a masked face, uh, that would be great to do. Um, so would love to have that opportunity. So again, just right up front, right after the service. Uh, we have been thinking about the last six or seven weeks as a staff, as we've been praying for students, both at Indiana Wesleyan and Taylor, who are coming back to campus, of just how can we be a better church for college students to attend? You're an important part of our community here in Grant County, and we believe that you're an important part of where Lakeview Church is heading in the future. And so we want an opportunity to be that kind of church for you. So I'm just going to unashamedly ask you to make Lakeview Church your church home. We want you to be here. We are creating a future with God's help. We're pursuing God's vision for our future. And we believe that you can help make that future a reality. So we want to see you plug in. Uh, and that means not just coming to church on Sunday morning, though we want you to be here and be a part of that, but we want to see you join a small group. We want to see you bring your gifts and your talents and your abilities and employ them in the kingdom work that God's asking us to do as a church because we believe that together, all of us, young and old, uh, kids, teenagers, college students, middle-aged adults, old people, all of us together, God has brought us together as a church. Amen? Because he's got something he wants us to do together as a multi-generational congregation right here in Grant County. So welcome to our college students. We hope that you'll make Lakeview Church your church home and that you'll be a part of what God is doing here in the future. We are right in the middle of a message series called Pursuing God's Vision. And uh, if you weren't here for the first two weeks, you can listen to those on our website, lakeviewwestland.org, or you can subscribe to our podcast in the podcast app of your choice, and you can catch up. But since you don't have time to do that today, I'm going to take just a minute, quick minute, and recap what we've talked about in this series so far. So we started by saying, what is vision? Vision is a, a compelling picture of the future that actually inspires us and moves us to take action. Andy Stanley said it this way. He said, it's a picture of what could and should be, right? So there's this reality in the life of a body of people where we start to see a situation that doesn't match God's intention and a picture starts to form of what could be true in the future that would make that situation closer to God's intention, and over time, that picture of what could be grows into a conviction of what should be true in the future. And when that picture starts to become that kind of conviction, that this picture of what could be, should be, at that moment, we're compelled to take action. 
And we, as God's people, unite together and we begin to pursue this vision for the future. We said that vision matters because vision actually propels us into the future. Without vision, we might settle for the status quo. We might actually start to think that our current reality is our future destination. So we need vision to propel us into the future. We said that vision unifies us. Right, It gives us one picture, and we all look at that picture, and we say, that's the direction we're going to go. And then we all start rowing in one direction together, as opposed to rowing in separate directions. And we actually start to see movement and momentum. And we start to get traction, and we start to move into the future that God has for us. And we said vision will help us maximize our fruitfulness. Without a picture of the future of where we need to go, we might actually be tempted to think that we can just take what God's given us and bury it in the ground. So that when God returns, we can just give back to him what he's given to us. But in reality, we've been asked by God to take everything that he's entrusted to our care and we're supposed to maximize it to produce fruit for the kingdom of God. And so we need a vision so that we can maximize fruitfulness. In short, vision allows us to pursue God's vision, God's God's future for us, and it allows us to thrive as a church, and as a community. This is why the writer of the book of Proverbs says, without vision, people perish. But with vision, there's this sense of being blessed, being happy, thriving. That's what we want in our church and in our community. So we're going to pursue God's vision. Now, over the first two weeks of this series, we've shared just a couple big ideas. The first one was that vision is born when a situation that doesn't match God's intention intersects with the prayers of God's people. We said right in that intersection where those two things meet, that's where vision is born. So we look at our community and we talked about the realities of our community and perhaps the most important thing that we shared about our community is that there are 42,000 people in Grant County who claim no religion whatsoever. In a, in a county that's just shy of 70,000 people in population, 42,000, well over half of our county claims no religion whatsoever. That's where we live. That situation must be met with the prayers of God's people. And when we turn and seek God in those moments to say, God, what, what are you asking us to do about that number? In that place, that's where vision is born. Last week, we said that as God's vision starts to become clear, we're going to need to hold two things in tension, diligence and dependence, that we have to be diligent to faithfully and sacrificially do whatever God's asking us to do. That's our responsibility. That's our job. That's our part. But then on the other side, we have to be completely dependent on God consistently and fervently asking God to do whatever it is that he wants to do so that our efforts can be blessed and multiplied by his strength and by his power and by his anointing because we're not good enough to make it happen in our own strength. So we got to be diligent and we got to be dependent. This morning, we pick up Nehemiah's story right after he's gotten permission from the king. Remember, the king granted permission, and Nehemiah said that the king gave me permission to do what God put in my heart to do because the gracious hand of my God was on me. So there's this sense in which God's favor is actually upon Nehemiah as this vision is taking shape to begin to pursue what God wants to do in the future. And now it's time for Nehemiah to leave where he is at to actually begin to pursue the vision that God's put in his heart. 
Now, we didn't read all of these verses, but in between the king giving permission and Nehemiah showing up in Jerusalem where we picked the story up, before any of that happens, Nehemiah faces opposition. Now, I didn't skip over that part because I don't want us to think about the opposition we're going to face. I skipped over it because we're going to have a whole message on that next week. Because the reality is, is that anytime we go to pursue something that God has for us to do, you can guarantee that we will face opposition. There's going to be opposition that we will face in our own hearts. Discouragement, doubts, fear, wondering if we can make this happen. There's going to be external opposition that we're going to face. People telling us, it'll never work. We've never done it that way before. Or we've tried that in the past and it didn't work. And you're going to have those voices that will come against you. And of course, we're going to face the evil one. Who would love nothing more than to destroy what God wants to do in and through his people in a particular time, in a particular place. Whenever you are pursuing God's vision, you will face opposition. But we must learn from Nehemiah. That the vision is more important than giving in to the opposition that we face. So whenever it comes, we got to keep our eyes on the vision and we've got to keep moving forward. That's what Nehemiah does in this story. He gets permission from the king. God's favor's on him. He hits opposition right away. And what does he do? He just continues on to Jerusalem to carry out the work God's given him to do. Now, uh, I find it interesting, uh, there are several things in this story I find interesting, but Nehemiah shows up in Jerusalem, and he, he investigates. It's one of the first things he does, right? He gets, gets a few people to come with him, and they go out and they look at Jerusalem. Now, I want to just remind you of what we saw in Nehemiah 1. Nehemiah hears the story of what's happened in Jerusalem, and he gets a picture in his mind eye of what is going on in Jerusalem, and he goes to prayer. And he begins to seek God. Even though he hasn't seen the situation firsthand, he's seen it in his mind, he's seen it in his heart, and he goes to God in prayer. Now he's in Jerusalem, and he wants to see it with his own eyes. He's investigating the situation. I want to just encourage you to do something as we're walking through this vision discernment process this fall. I want you to ask God to open your eyes, not just the eyes of your mind and your heart, though I, I pray that God will open those as well. But I want you just to open your eyes to the things that you see every day. As you drive through our city, as you drive around our county, just ask God to help you see what's really true in our community. Because I think sometimes we just block it out. Right? We just go through our lives and, and we kind of get tunnel vision on what's important for us to do next. Right? We've got calendars and schedules and classes and things we've got to do and things we've got to accomplish. And so we just tunnel vision and we don't actually see what's happening around us. I want you just to ask God, open my eyes and help me see it again for the first time. The true condition of what's happening in our city and in our community. That's what Nehemiah does with these men. And they, they go and they investigate and they ride around. I, I just... I think it's cool that there's a, a dragon gate. I just think that's cool. Like, I, I just that's just not something you expect to read in the Bible, but man, what a cool name for a gate, the dragon gate. Um, but I digress. Um, so they go around, they look at all this stuff, and then Nehemiah says, I had not yet told them what God put in my heart to do. 
And then he mentions off a whole group of people, several groups, actually nobles and princes and priests and religious leaders and the Jews and the rest. He said, I hadn't talked to any of these groups of people. I just had these few men with me and the animal that I was riding on. And we went around and we looked at all of this stuff. And then we get to verse 17, and he calls all of these people and all of these groups together. And I love what he does. He presents the problem to them. He says, look, guys, the walls are torn down and the gates have been burned with fire. Now, remember, these people live here. They see it every single day. And yet Nehemiah finds it important to say, hey, guys, look at the walls. They're torn down. Look at the gates. They're burned with fire. Remember the shame and the trouble that's weighing on God's people right now in the city of Jerusalem. What's Nehemiah doing? Nehemiah is saying, there's a situation that doesn't match God's intention, which means God must have something for us to do as his people to change the situation. This is so important for us to understand. We can't miss this today. Because there's this temptation as evangelicals who have this hope that we will spend eternity with God in heaven. There is this temptation to just kind of take our hands off the world and let the world go to hell in a handbasket. To basically say it's us against them and we don't really care about them because our future is secure. And I just want to let you know when God looks at the world, God never says that. He never says that. He did not come in the person of Jesus Christ for at any moment to condemn the world. Sent his son so that the world through Jesus could be saved. God never says, forget about the world. God says, don't forget about the world. So we must look at the condition of our community, of our city, and we must say it doesn't match God's intention, so God must have work for us to do. Because we're his people, his ambassadors, his representatives right here at this time in this place. For this moment, what is the vision God wants to give birth to in and through this congregation? Nehemiah says, look at the walls. They're torn down. The gates are burned with fire. And then he says, come, let us build the wall. So the people will no longer suffer derision. I love how Nehemiah gives them the problem and then he offers the solution. And it's important to understand that the solution Nehemiah offers, though it does require the building of a wall, is not ultimately about a wall. It's about the people who live inside the wall. Nehemiah says, let's build the wall so the people will no longer suffer derision. Nehemiah's focus is on the people of God. It's just important for us to remember that whatever vision God gives us, it might require us to do some things to our building to make it more attractive, more functional, more usable for the ministry that God is leading us to pursue in the future. And there might be ministries, some that we need to stop and others that we need to start. There might be programs and projects and initiatives that we need to engage in, but I want to just make it really, really, really clear. Buildings 
and programs and ministries and projects and initiatives are never going to be the vision of our church. The vision of our church always, always, always revolves around the development of people. Because at the end of the day, the buildings and the programs and the ministries and the projects and the initiatives, they all pass away, but the people live on forever. That's an eternal investment, and that's the investment that God is asking us to make. Not to say, look at our building, or look at this program, or look at this project. No, it's always the people. Always the people. We must never forget that. Now, Nehemiah says, come, let's rebuild the wall. And the people say, yes. Let us build the wall. Let's get to work. And I love what the passage says. They strengthened their hands for the work that was in front of them. Now, there are two big ideas I want to share with you this morning coming out of this passage that I think are important for us to make sure we understand. First, pursuing God's vision requires that we move from I to us. We have to move from I to us. If you start reading in Nehemiah chapter 2 and you read from uh, verse 8 all the way down to verse 16, every single verse has the word I in it except for one. Nehemiah is saying, I uh, got permission from the king. I went to Jerusalem. I invited these men to go with me. I investigated the walls. I looked at the gates. I hadn't told them what God had put in my heart to do. I did this and I did that. I thought this. I went here. I accomplished this. Nehemiah is by himself in a lot of ways. And this makes sense because he hasn't gone public yet. God's been shaping a vision in his heart, and he hasn't shared it with anyone, so it's just I, I, I. But Nehemiah changes the tone in verse 17. The word I falls out of this passage, and now we start talking about we and us. Because Nehemiah recognizes something, that if he has a vision from God that needs to be accomplished for the people of Jerusalem, he can't do it by himself. He needs the people, to join him. So he moves from I to us. He moves from an individual to a team perspective. And this is important for us to capture today. Because whatever vision God is going to give us, one person or even just a small group of people cannot accomplish God's vision for our church and for our community. It requires all of us as one team working together, everybody rowing in the same direction so that we have movement and momentum and energy to take us where God wants us to go. We must move from I to us. Second big idea, us, the collective team, requires you. You might be tempted to think when I say move from I to us that, that the church will, help, will do it and you can just kind of sit back and watch and nothing could be further from the truth. Because we must move from an individual to a team perspective, you must always remember that in the context of a team, you have a job to do. And if you don't pull your weight, then someone else will have to pull your weight for you which means they'll have less energy to pull their own weight. Deep logic that I'm sharing with you this morning. 
right? If someone else has to pick up the slack because you're not doing what God's asked you to do to help us move into the future God has for us, then the church as a whole will be diminished, will be held back. We need everybody doing their part. And you might say, I'm too old. Not an acceptable excuse. It's not acceptable. You can still give it, and I'll just tell you it's not acceptable. If you're breathing, you can participate. You have a role to play. God brought you here. You're a part of the body of Christ. You have value. You matter. And you have something to contribute. It doesn't matter how old you are or how much you've served or how much time you've put in. God has something for you to do in the life of our church. And I'm inviting you to make sure you do your part. On the other end of the spectrum, some of you say, might say, I'm too young. No, not acceptable. You're not the church of the future. You are the church. You belong to the church. You are a member of the body of Christ. You have something to contribute. You might say, well, I've been here for so long. I've put in all of my time, and it's time for someone else to do their work. No, there's no retirement. No retirement from contributing to the body of Christ here at Lakeview Church. And you might say, well, I'm brand new. How could I be involved? I need to kind of wait and feel things out. Unacceptable. Just jump in. Strengthen your hands for the work because us as a team requires you. You have to do your part. This is why scripture talks about the church as a body. Right? And the body is built up into the fullness of maturity as each part does its work. If we want to become everything that God wants us to be, if we want to reach our full potential as a church, it requires every single part doing its work. So I invite you to fully engage. Now, you might be saying, so what can I do? I'm so glad you asked. Let me give you three things that you can do right now. Now, there are going to be other things that will unroll for us as we uh, get into this whole vision discernment process that we're walking through this fall. But I want to share three things that you can do right now over the next few weeks to participate in moving our church towards God's vision for the future. Number one, you already know what this is, pray. We've been talking about this, and we're going to talk about it again this morning. Because the worst thing that we could do is engage in a vision discernment process without praying. To just get in a room and say, what good ideas do we have? And I want to just be open with you. I'm not interested in our good ideas. I'm interested in God's ideas for the future of our church. Because we could come up with really good ideas and, and have this great vision that we've crafted in our own strength, in our own ability, in our own understanding. And we can get all of that together and we still won't have anything if we don't know what God wants us to do. So we must pray. And we've been talking about it, but I want to just remind you, pray for vision. That God would give us a clear and compelling picture for the future that God has for us. Secondly, that God would unify us, that we would have alignment around this vision picture so that we could start pursuing what God wants us to do together as a team, everybody rowing in the same direction, and that God would give us courage. Because whatever God asks us to do, it's going to require hard decisions and sacrifice and commitment and time and effort and energy. And are we willing to be courageous enough to do whatever God is asking us to do? 
So be people of prayer. Secondly, sign up for a vision focus group. About 50 of you have done this already and the rest of you are gonna do it today. Okay? And again, everybody, right? I'll tell you what that word means in the Greek. It means every single one of you. Nobody's left out. Some of you say, well, I'm not a visionary person. It doesn't matter. Some of you might say, I'm too old. No, unacceptable. I'm too young. No, unacceptable. Everybody, sign up for a vision focus group. Some of you are like, I'll sign up, but I don't even know what this is, so I thought it would be helpful if I just take a minute and tell you. Vision focus groups, a group of about 15 to 20 people gathering in a room, socially distanced, okay, COVID safe. We'll have, you know, gallons of hand sanitizer to slather all over yourself, and we'll make sure that we're keeping COVID out of the room as much as we can, okay? We're going to get you in a room, and we're going to we're just gather for about an hour. It might be a few minutes less, might be a few minutes more, but about an hour, and I'm going to facilitate those conversations, so I'll be in each one. And there's two purposes for these focus groups. One, I want to just get a chance to be in a small group setting with each and every one of you. Some of you, uh, we've met, and uh, others of you, we still haven't met yet. And this is a great opportunity for us just to be in a small group and just to get to connect so that I can put a face and a name together, right? I've prayed for everybody in this church. I've prayed for your name, but I don't know all of your faces, and I talked to the online group. Some of you haven't been in the building since I've been your pastor. And man, uh, I want to get an opportunity just to see your face, connect that name, so that as I'm praying for you, I can see you. And so I want to encourage you uh, to be a part of these focus groups. So that's one reason. The second reason, though, is I've got five questions that I want everybody in this church to answer. We're going to ask the same five questions to every focus group. And we're going to ask these questions so that we can learn about who we are, what we value, what's important to us, what our strengths are, what our abilities are as a church, what are the gifts that God's given us. And then some questions to help us start to talk about what is God putting in our hearts for the future. So we're going to ask five questions. We're going to have a couple note takers in the back, and they're going to record what you say. Now, they're not going to record who says what. Right? We're, this is not like uh, to be held against you in a court of law at some point in the future. No, not at all. Like We're just recording the comments that you're making because it matters what you say. And we don't want to miss anything. So we're going to capture those in documents. And then our church board has appointed a vision team. Now, I'm hoping next week to be able to introduce this team to you. We're just making sure we have everybody's commitment that the, uh, who the board appointed to actually serve on the team. But, but this vision team is going to take all the notes from these sessions and they're going to see the themes that run through all of them. And they're going to actually craft a vision document for our church. Now, as soon as that document's crafted, we're going to start talking about it in the staff, in the board, in Sunday school classes, in small group settings, in ministry teams, and different pockets of people across the church. And we're going to collect your feedback, your insights. We're going to see... What are the areas where the Spirit really seems to be energizing the conversation? So we want to hear from you. And then we're going to revise that vision document, hopefully by the end of January. In February, our board will approve that document 
that's been edited and refined as a congregation, and it's going to come to you as a congregation. For those of you who are members, it will come to you in May at our local church conference, and you'll have an opportunity to officially, as a body of believers, say, we believe this is the vision God's calling us to pursue. Yes. Now, the other thing the vision team's going to do for us is after that vision document's taken shape in February or March, they're going to go on a retreat together, and they're going to be tasked with taking that vision and starting to develop a strategy for how will we pursue this vision over the next two years. So I want to encourage you to begin praying for the vision team. You say, well, I don't know who's on it. doesn't matter. Just pray for the vision team. Hopefully, I can introduce them all to you next week. I can tell you this. There's staff. There's board members and there's members from the congregation. Okay, there's, This is a diverse group, different ages, different sections of our community and congregation as a whole because we want, we want to have a team that reflects us to work on this process that you are beginning when you sign up for a vision focus group today if you haven't done that already. Can I just reiterate, everybody should sign up for a vision focus group. Say, how do I do that? Go to our website, lakeviewwesleyan.org. In the middle of the page, there's a button that says sign up for a vision focus group. Click that button and sign up. We have them all different times. We'll add more sessions if we need to. Some of you watching online are saying to yourself, but I don't want to come to an in-person meeting because I'm not comfortable. I'm in an at-risk category. We will create Zoom sessions for you if that's what it takes to get you into a group. So just contact the church office and we will set those up so that you can participate because everybody matters. Some of you say, what about our shut-ins? I'm so glad you asked. Jared and I have been working on a plan to go to each of our shut-ins to ask them the same five questions that we're going to ask everybody else in this congregation because every single voice matters because we are one body. So if you haven't heard this already today, sign up for a vision focus group if you've not done that because we need your voice. Please do that. One more thing that you can do. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. We said this last week, but vision requires patience. Vision requires patience. Because it's easy, again, to get excited. I'm excited about the future. I don't even know how our vision's going to shape up yet, but I'm excited about it. God's going to do some great things in and through this church, and I can't wait. But we've got to be patient. Because we don't want good ideas. We want God ideas. We want to know that we're doing exactly what God has asked us to do. Because when we step out to do it, we're going to need His favor. And we want to make sure we're right in the place where there is nothing that would keep Him from pouring out His favor on the church. So wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Open your hearts and your eyes and your ears to him and say, God, speak. Show us where you want us to go. And let's let God move in our midst. Now today, on a day where we talk about the importance of teamwork and the importance of waiting on the Lord for this vision, it's appropriate that we're going to close our service with communion. For those of you who are watching online, if you've got communion elements, I want to encourage you to make sure you've got those at hand and ready to go. And 
For those of you who are in the room, you should have gotten a little cup when you came in. If you didn't get one of these little cups right here, raise your hand so we can get one to you. Our ushers are ready to, to wait on you. We got one back here. Anybody else? Just lift your hand up high. We need, we need one right over here. Anybody else? Oh, one right over here. Yep. Just keep your hand up and someone will be coming to you. Now, for those of you in the room, if you've never done these before, I just want to remind you, there are two tabs. The top tab, the clear one, uh, reveals the wafer. The bottom one reveals the juice. So I just want to make sure that's clear for everybody. For those of you at home, if you've got the elements there, what I want everybody to do is just take this cup that you've got in your hand and just hold it because we're going to just pray right now for God to consecrate these elements as we remember that we're one team. Lots of different people, different ages, different backgrounds, different education levels, different economics, different family histories, all differences. But we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and we all come to one table because we're one church. One church. Takes a team. And we get to come to the table today. And it takes a team that's surrendered to the Lord. And we're coming to the table today, not just to celebrate the fact that we're one church, we're coming to the table today to say, we need your grace poured out in our lives to accomplish everything that you have for us. So I want to invite you at home and here in the room to pray with me as we consecrate these elements. Father, we come to these moments in our service. We're so very grateful that we can be together in your presence. God, I look across this room. I think about the people who are joining us online today. There are so many differences among us. It's the beauty of diversity within the body of Christ. All different parts, all different members, and yet today we are one. So we come to this holy, sacred moment to celebrate one act together to signify diversity coming together in unity. And God, as we do, I pray that you would take these elements, ordinary elements, wafers or crackers or bread and juice, take these ordinary things, God, everyday things, and in these moments, breathe your life into them and use them as a means of grace for your people today. And God, for what you do in these moments, we're going to give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, for those of you in the room, just take that top tab off, and there's a wafer in there. You can take that out in your hands. For those of you at home, take the crackers or bread that you are using this morning, and as you hold that in your hands, just remember, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he met with his disciples and he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body broken for you. This morning we get to eat this representation of Christ's body because his body was broken for us. And so as we eat this morning, let's be thankful 
that Jesus' body was broken for us. Let's eat together. Now you can pull that second tab off. This one, be a little more careful with. Just take in the sound. Just take in the sound. After they had finished eating in that same meal, Jesus took a cup and he blessed it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, This cup is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. This is the cup of the new covenant. And he told his disciples to drink this and remember that his blood was being poured out for them. Listen, we are part of God's family today because Jesus shed his blood for our sins. And his blood covers us and makes us new. And so as you drink the cup today, be thankful. Let's drink together. Father, for this very simple yet sacred act, we give you thanks and praise. I pray, God, that as we have had the privilege of receiving this sacrament this morning, that we would be reminded that it wasn't just a wafer and it wasn't just a little bit of juice. No, these were the means of grace coming into our lives, empowering us and strengthening us for the journey that is before us, both as your people and as a church body. Make us, God, into one team where every single part does its work so that we can be built up into maturity as your people. We love you and we praise you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.